You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning to you. If, we, uh, if we've not met before, my name is Matt Luloyan, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Liberty Church. And uh, as Shane mentioned earlier, we are kicking off a, a brand new series this morning called Rhythms of Grace. So let me give you a little bit of a backstory to this whole idea and this, this terminology. Uh, several years back at Liberty Church, we, re- we shouldn't have had to rediscover this, but we rediscovered a very foundational, critical truth uh, for the Christian life, and that's this. Only disciples make disciples. Only disciples of Jesus make disciples. So there isn't any kind of system that can do it for us or church program. There isn't some kind of automatic pilot or cruise control setting. God is always using men and women who have been transformed by him, who are being transformed by him, in the ongoing work of forming new and more disciples. And so really the best thing that we can do from a a church-wide standpoint is twofold. One, we can create venues and opportunities for people to be known and to connect with each other where that discipleship can happen relationally. And two, we can equip people to be disciples and to make disciples. And it was really out of that second part that the rhythms of grace were born. We needed a a simple but robust framework to equip people to live out the patterns and the habits that are really critical to a life of following Jesus. If we're going to grow as followers of Jesus and we're going to do that together, we really need a shared grid. We need a common set of lenses and some common questions. We need a common set of pursuits that we can use to not only consider our own lives and what our own lives are looking like, but graciously entering into other people's lives and caring about them and asking what they're doing and how they're doing. So as a church, we talk a lot about our three core values of worship, community, and mercy. The rhythms of grace are these individual and communal habits that really help make those values embodied values. Not just things that we talk about, but things that we actually live out together. And so four years or so ago, 2018 is when we initially rolled out the rhythms of grace. Uh, And if you've been here over the last four years, hopefully this is not new to you. Hopefully you've heard us as we've talked about this over those years. We've done some retreats, we've done some seminars focused on these rhythms, Uh, So it isn't just something that we want to do once, put on our website, pat ourselves on the back for and forget. We really want the rhythms of grace to be woven into the fabric of what it means to be part of this church. But even more importantly, what it means to be part of Jesus's church. And so, so what you'll hear, I hope, in the coming weeks is that the rhythms of grace are not fads or trends. Uh, This is ancient wisdom taught by the scriptures and passed down from generation to generation among God's people as part of their spiritual formation. So though it's not exhaustive, these are things that will always be essential for followers of Jesus to pursue. Uh, This morning is just going to serve as kind of an introduction to the series, and then we'll spend uh, the next nine weeks looking at a different rhythm each week. Uh, But to kick it off today, we're going to look at some of the final recorded words ever written by the Apostle Peter. So we are in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to, uh, if you're using those black hardcover Bibles, page 1018 is where you can find today's text. 
And just to, to set the, the background here a little bit, it's somewhere in the mid-60s AD. Uh, Peter, as you'll hear in just a moment, is getting very close to the end of his life, his martyrdom. Jesus had told him much earlier that he was going to die, and Peter now senses that that moment is coming close. But before his life ends, he wants Christians, he wants followers of Jesus to really devote themselves to living a faithful life and a fruitful life. He, he wants them to really be prepared to combat the false teaching that's coming at them. And most of all, he wants to remind them about what is true of them through the finished work of Jesus. So you can think about it this way. It's not just rhythms that we pursue in the Christian life, but it's grace that compels those rhythms. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Simeon, or Simon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May, the grace, and, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of, our God, of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, that word actually means siblings. So we could say, therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Blessed are you, God of all creation. You spoke and the world came into existence. You spoke, and your word, the word, came to dwell with us full of grace and truth. And so as we listen this morning, may our ears be attuned to you. As your word is spoken, may you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to each of us. And may all that we hear lead us to you. We pray this all through Jesus. Amen. Amen. So two things, two things for us to explore this morning in light of 2 Peter chapter 1. The grace of rhythms and the rhythms of grace. The grace of rhythms and the rhythms of grace. So first, the grace of rhythms. And if we zoom out, the Bible is really filled with two things. Two things, indicatives 
and imperatives. And those are fancy words that keep people like me and seminarians employed, lets us charge a salary so we can teach you those words. Here's a short way to remember what that means. Indicative means what is true, imperative, what to do. So the Bible is full of things that are true and then things that we're supposed to to do. And throughout the Bible, but especially in the letters of the New Testament like 2 Peter, we get to see the relationship between indicatives and imperatives. And what we see there is that the indicatives drive the imperatives, that the imperatives are always flowing out of the indicatives. It's because of what, in other words, it's because of what is already true. It's because of what God has already done that we now have some things to do in response to that. And this is what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ fundamentally different from religion in general. So religion or, or moralism says, hey, here's a bunch of imperatives. Here's a bunch of stuff to do. And if you work hard enough at those things, if you do a good enough job at those, maybe, maybe God will look favorably upon you. Maybe you'll be able to gain eternal life or, or paradise or whatever the, the end goal is for that particular religion. But the gospel is all about what God, specifically in the person and work of Jesus Christ, has done for us. And because of his perfect life, because of his substitutionary death, because of his glorious resurrection, we now have some things to, to respond to, to live in light of, of that. And so in this letter, Peter includes a lot of imperatives. He gives us a lot of things to, to, to run after and to do. It's a lot of, even as you maybe heard, a lot of effort, a lot of diligence, a lot of action. But all of it is rooted in the grace that God has already shown us. That's how Peter starts this letter. So I wanted to start at the very beginning of, of, first Pe- of Second Peter. Uh, and I hope you heard it as I read. Before he gets to a single imperative, before he tells us to do one single thing, listen again to what has already been done for you. Verse 1, you have obtained a faith of equal standing with the apostles. So the apostles and prophets, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's the hall of famers among the people of God. But you know who has an equal standing before God as they do? You do. You do. How? Because you've been given it because of the righteousness of Jesus. Verse 3, God has granted to you what? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you could possibly need for your life. Everything you could possibly need to pursue godliness in your life, you have. How do you have it? God exerted his divine power. The, the very same power that spoke the world, the world into existence, he's exerting that power to grant you all of that. Still in verse 3, next line, you have been called to God's own glory and excellence. So we are given, as his image bearers, some of God's own glory. The psalmist writes in Psalm 8 that we are crowned with glory and honor because we're made by him. And We're brought into the excellence of God, the excellence of the one Scripture says does all things well. We're brought in, we're called into that. Verse 4, in addition to granting us all things, as if there was something else beyond all things that we needed, God has also granted you his precious and very great promises. And what would Peter be referring to in this moment? Well, promises like that he would be our God and that we would be his people that he would never leave us or forsake us, that he would go with us, that he would give us a hope and a future. A different apostle, the apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that these and indeed all of the promises of God find their yes and their amen 
in Jesus. They're given to you by what he's done. Still in verse 4, you have become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. So it's not that you become gods. It's not that you become a divinity yourself, as some religions or worldviews would teach. That's kind of the end goal for some religions. But as we are united with and increasingly conformed to the image of Jesus, we share in aspects of his divine nature. So you can think of it this way. In creation, just by being created, we bear the image of God. But it's in redemption, it's through the work of Jesus that we actually partake in the divine nature. And then he says there, to close out verse 4, that through all of this we escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You do not have to live underneath the corruption of sin forever. You get to be free of that. Now in all of these things, in all of these things, what have you and I done so far? What, have, what, have, what effort have you and I made so far? None. Nothing. We believed. We put our faith in Jesus, but we come to find out that even that was a gift. We were dead and had to be made alive. We were blind and had to have our eyes open, and that's something that God did too. So here's why this is so important as we start to talk about rhythms of grace over these next 10 weeks. Before we focus on rhythms, we've got to saturate ourselves in the grace. We've got to saturate ourselves in the grace. Before we talk about our efforts, we've got to make sure we're talking about Jesus's efforts. And apart from any pursuit or work or merit of ours, here at the beginning of 2 Peter 1, here are the things that are true of you solely by the grace of God. The imperatives flow out of the indicative. And that's why it's not until we get to verse 5 that we get the first imperative in this letter. And that's where Peter says, for this very reason, therefore, in other words, because all of that stuff is true, make every effort. All of the rhythms, all of the habits of the Christian life, all of our efforts, which are substantial and which matter greatly, are rhythms of grace. They are responses to, to the grace that you and I have been shown. Now, if you've, if you've been a Christian for some period of time, uh, this is probably not a brand new idea to you. It might be. It might be. And if that's so, that's incredible. Let's talk about that more. Uh, but for many of you who've been Christians for some period of time, this is not new. The Christian faith is grounded on the truth that we are saved by grace through faith, that we're not saved by our works, but that our, our salvation is a gift, not something that we earn. And what I hope you see then this morning, in addition to, to being reminded of that great truth, what I hope you see in 2 Peter is that there's an additional reason rhythms and pursuits in our lives are a grace from God. Namely, that you and I are given a path, that you and I are given a prescribed way of living, which keeps us from becoming ineffective and unfruitful in our lives. That we're given a way to live which helps us escape from the corruption and the futility that exists in this world because of sin. And that we are given a path through which, verse 11, we are provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom of Jesus. You see, we are creatures of habit. We are creatures of habit. It is hardwired into our humanity to create patterns and routines in our lives, to nail down what would otherwise be disorderly about life and to make it have some structure. Your cup of coffee every morning when you get up, the way you drive to work or school, the, the chairs you sit in in this room, it's probably a chair you've sat in before if you've been here with any kind of regularity. We nail down life into patterns 
and routines. The question is, how do we know that those routines we're forming in and being formed in, how do we know they're the right ones? How, how do we know that the, that the regimens of our lives that we're so hardwired to put in place, how do we know that we're not going to wake up some future day from now and say, man, what a waste. What was that all for? Because I've just spent years and years of my life doing the same thing over and over again, and I'm not sure it accomplished anything. I'll be honest with you. I wrestle with that. I wrestle with that a lot. I, had, I have one of these days, it seems like almost every week, um, but this week it was Thursday. This week it was Thursday, where a really small thing, really small thing objectively, set me off on just a mental downward spiral. And in the spiral, and at the end of the spiral, it was just like, what's the point of all this? Like, why, why try so hard in life? People are just going to do what people are going to do. The world's going to be the way the world's going to be. I'm going to be stuck in the ruts that I'm stuck in. It doesn't really matter how hard I spin my wheels. This is all just an exercise in futility. It was a very, like, Ecclesiastes Thursday. I don't know if you guys have ever... Have you, have you guys been there, though? Have you guys had days like that? I, I'm trusting that I'm not the only one that has days or... or Weeks are longer than that. The grace of rhythms, the grace of imperatives, like the ones we have here in Second Peter, is that we can know we're on the right road even on days like that. That we can know our efforts and the routines that we're in are not in vain and that our rhythms and our habits of our lives are not a waste of our lives. They're not an exercise in futility on days when it might feel like they are and when we can't see results from it. That's what Peter's writing here. He's saying if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You might stumble. I mean, you certainly won't live the rest of this life without sin and all of its effects, but you will get to participate in God's ongoing work of transforming you and even more transforming this world through you. You will get to participate in God conforming you and other people more and more to the image of Jesus. And ultimately, verse 11, you will be brought safely into the eternal kingdom of Jesus himself. I mentioned earlier how our rhythms of grace have everything to do with discipleship. I want you just to think as we start this series for a moment this morning, how audacious it is that Christians talk about discipleship, that Christians can and do talk so much about becoming like Jesus. What on earth gives us the idea that we can possibly attain to that? And what on earth gives us the idea we even have the right to aim for that in the first place? Remember, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve aspired to something. What did they aspire to? They aspired to become like God. They ate the fruit. They believed the lie from the serpent because they wanted to be like God. And that moment has forever since been the epitome of rebellion against God. That's the fall. That's how sin entered the world. Now, generations later, here you and I are aspiring to become like Jesus, to live, speak, and serve as his very presence, to become partakers of his divine nature. And instead of rebellion, we call that discipleship. What's the difference? What's the difference? Grace is the difference. Adam and Eve's was this self-reliant effort to become God, to usurp God. Ours is a forever dependent, grace-driven response to what Jesus had, and only Jesus could ever accomplish for us. So recognize in this series how even talking about discipleship, how even talking about stuff like this is a gift. And as much as I hope and trust that these, these next weeks will be immensely practical, have a lot of specific applications for us to put into practice in our lives, let's never skip over the grace that makes these rhythms possible. 
the grace that shapes these rhythms and, and the grace that assures us that if we pursue things like this, the routines and practices of our lives will not be a path to futility, but really will be a path to faithfulness and, and fruitfulness. So if that's the grace of rhythms, then second, second, let's talk about the rhythms of grace. And Peter here, as you heard, focuses more on character, character qualities, than on practices. So verses five through seven, he says, supplement your faith. Here's some stuff you're going to add to your faith, not to save yourself, but something you're going to add as a response to the grace you've been shown. Supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This is the kind of character that we want as Jesus' followers. Because of that grace that we've been shown, these are the kinds of people that we want to be, that we long to be, that we strive to be. And so lists like this, or the Apostle Paul has one in Galatians 5, we call it the fruit of the Spirit, These are lists that detail the the qualities and shape of our lives. Where Peter focuses here, though, more on the characteristics, when we talk about rhythms of grace, we're seeking to answer the question, well, how do we actually become these kinds of people? How do we become self-controlled people with brotherly affection and love? How do we gain and grow in this kind of character? What are practical things we can apply ourselves to that will supplement our faith with things like these? And so a few years ago, with a a lot of help from sources old and new, we put together a list of nine. And we don't claim that that, that that's a perfect list or that that it's an exhaustive list, but we do think the list of our nine rhythms of grace is a helpful one, and that it takes this otherwise difficult to pin down concept of discipleship. You know, we talk about discipleship, we're like, I don't even know exactly what that means. I kind of get the idea that it means following Jesus. How do I do that? How do I help other people do that? This takes that concept and makes it, I hope, more accessible and more transferable. In other words, what we're saying here is that if you are pursuing these things, and if you are walking along with other people in their lives, helping them pursue these things, you are participating in discipleship. You, You don't have to be a Christian for X number of years before you can do this. You don't have to have a seminary degree or formal Bible training somewhere. You don't have to have a a formal leadership role in in this church or any other church. You can be growing as a disciple of Jesus. You can be helping other people grow as disciples by practicing these things and talking about them with each other. So what are they? What are they? Well, the nine rhythms of grace, just to list them, are gathered worship, what we're even doing together this morning. Number two, daily prayer and Bible study. So we don't just worship when we're with other people. We worship by our own rhythms at home, communing with God in prayer, seeking to understand what he's revealed in his word. Sabbath is the third one. We rest from our work to enjoy recreation, to enjoy restoration from God. The fourth one is bodily consecration. We see that God values and cares for our physical bodies, not just our souls. So we want to use our bodies and care for our bodies faithfully. The fifth one is relational pursuit. We enter in graciously to each other's lives. We seek out each other for the sake of helping each other grow and be cared for and served. The sixth one is we just call one anothering. There's 55 commands in the New Testament that all start with one another or have the word one another in it, love one another, serve one another, honor one another. So we're trying to practice those in our relationships with each other. And even as we do, we're we're taking the gifts that God has given us, 
Gifts that the Holy Spirit has empowered and we're using those for the sake of building other people up. The seventh one is mission. Showing and telling the good news of Jesus with those who at this moment don't know him. The eighth one is generosity. We share what we have with other people. We give of the, of the abundance that God has given to us and we seek to live simple lives. Lives that actually display that Jesus is our greatest treasure. Nine is service. Uh, using our time and talents to meet the real needs of people, whether that's here in the church or outside of our church in the region. So if you haven't yet, I just would encourage you to make sure to check out the new uh, Rhythms of Grace display in our fellowship hall. And a huge thanks to Elise Dolislager and Steve King from our staff team for, for making that happen. Uh, we've had the rhythms displayed in that room on some posters now for a number of years. But in conjunction with this series, we thought a little facelift, a little refresh to some of the Rhythms of Grace could be beneficial and kind of putting them all in one spot so you could see them close up and quickly. Um, so check that out um, when you get a chance. Uh, as I've mentioned, we're, we're going to devote a week to each of these rhythms for the rest of the summer. But for today, what I want to do with just a little bit of time we have left is to lay a foundation for all of the Rhythms of Grace by highlighting three things that Peter says here about supplementing our faith. So he's talking about supplementing our faith, responding to the grace that we've been shown. Three things Peter says about supplementing our faith. First, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort. We're saved by grace, we're sustained, and we're sanctified by grace. But there's an incredibly active role that we're called to play. And so Peter writes here in verse 5, make every effort. And he writes a few verses later in verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election by practicing these qualities. So you can't acquire, you can't secure your salvation by effort. But in the providence of God, by the grace of God, our effort does bring some confirmation. It does help us see that we really do belong to Jesus, that his work really does count on our behalf. And our faith, we read throughout Scripture, is always meant to be taking this, these demonstrated, tangible, observable forms externally in our lives. It's not just an inward, private, personal matter. Our faith takes outward expression. And so what I would say as we kick off this series is, apply yourself to these things. Those nine things that I just mentioned, apply yourself to them. Stop putting them off. Stop letting other things in your life. I know we've got busy people and busy lives. Stop letting other things crowd out these pursuits. I know the vast majority of you, uh, and I know most of you are not afraid to add hard and costly things to your lives. If you see the value of something, you will make a sacrifice for it, as long as it's worth it. So, you know, the Whole30 diet plan or other kinds of workout regimens or side hustles you have or house projects or renovations you're doing or kids travel sports. I mean, you guys will do hard things if you see the importance behind the hard things. What I would say to you this morning is that by the grace of God, these are practices by which you will never fall. These are practices by which you partake in the divine nature. These are practices by which God richly provides you an entrance into Jesus's eternal kingdom. So don't relegate these things to the margins and spare time of your lives. It's a famous illustration. Stephen Covey, the author of um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, famous illustration where he's got this glass jar and he's got little bowls of rocks and pebbles and sand and water. And he's going to say, how is all this going to fit into the one jar? 
And, and the only way it fits is if you put the big rocks in first. If you try to put the water or anything else in first, by the time you get to the rocks, it doesn't fit. And I say that this morning, I remind you of that this morning to say, make the rhythms of grace the big rocks in your life. The things that go in first. Let the other things in your life, there's other valid things to use your life for. It's great stuff to pursue in life. Let those other things fill in around these, not the other way around, which is the way we tend to approach it. And that takes effort, but it is worth it. It is worth it. Second thing that Peter says here about supplementing our faith. This is an incremental lifelong pursuit. So he says there in verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, there's an incremental nature to spiritual growth. Paul uses this great phrase, one degree of glory to another. That's how we grow in the Christian life, one degree of glory to another. And Eugene Peterson termed it famously some years ago, it's a long obedience in the same direction. We keep doing the same thing for a long time, for our whole life. So over these coming weeks, you're going to see areas in your life where you need to grow. At least I hope you do. I probably am not doing my job as a pastor if you're seeing nothing in your life that you could grow in. So you can hold me to that. I hope and I trust that you will see some areas in your life where you need to grow. As you do, don't hear that as condemnation. Hear that as invitation. These are really rhythms of grace. This is so much more about Jesus' work than it is yours. And we read in Romans chapter 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. What there is though, what there is for you is an invitation to align your life more and more with his, to be increasingly, incrementally conformed to his image. So I would say to you, this summer, this is not the way to approach the rhythms of grace. Don't attempt a major overhaul of your life in all nine rhythms this summer. That is just setting you up to be disappointed, probably frustrated with the leadership of the church. Don't set yourself up to fail that way. What I would say is have a long view. And even today, even now in this moment, begin to pray and ask for wisdom and discernment from the Holy Spirit. Which one or two of these things would God really lead you to, to apply yourself to this summer? Do you really need to cultivate a prayer life that you've never cultivated before? Do you really need to start talking with other people about Jesus because you're not talking to anybody about Jesus right now? What are the things that the Holy Spirit is putting right in front of you to say, these are, these are the one or two to really apply yourself to? And then third and finally, this is ancient wisdom which unites you with Jesus' followers across history and across the world. These are some of the last words that Peter, the Apostle Peter, ever writes that we know of. And he is taking great care to pass on this faith that he's received from Jesus and entrusting it to future generations. As he's nearing the end of his life, he writes a lot about reminding and remembering. Maybe you heard that refrain as we read those last verses here. Verse 12, I intend always to remind you. Verse 13, I think it right to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 15, so that you will recall or remember these things. As 21st century Americans, we are addicted to novelty. We're addicted to novelty. New always feels, always seems better to us, culturally speaking. But though new is beneficial and helpful in many areas of life, our addiction to novelty becomes folly for us as the people of God. We are not meant to live our lives being stirred up by continually inventing something new and better 
by moving on from one thing to the next, to the next thing that's flashy and shiny. We're meant to be, Peter says, stirred up by way of reminder. Reminder. In Jeremiah chapter 6, the prophet writes, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Though they have had different names and different groupings over the centuries, what we talk about when we talk about the rhythms of grace, they are ancient paths. They are ancient paths. The, the news, you know, Channel 8 is not ringing my phone off the hook this week asking about our cutting-edge approach to church. <laughs> we talk about the rhythms. Of, like you, t- you tell people to gather for worship and read their Bible and talk about Jesus. That's, I've never heard that before. We're not novel in our, in our approach to these things. But what the rhythms of grace lack in novelty, they more than make up for in rootedness. What they lack in flash, they make up for in substance. And what they lack in innovation, they make up for in unification. See, it's practices like this that unite you with other followers of Jesus across the world and across the ages. Our context, our circumstances are in perpetual flux, but we have these disciplines, we have these rhythms in common. And most of all, as Jeremiah wrote even so many years ago, these are the paths on which we find rest for our souls. Rest for our souls. And how much, men and women, do we, how much more do we know that to be true on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? As we've been reading even in Gentle and Lowly over and over again over these past weeks, if you've been with us, Jesus, the one who said, come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and what? And you will find rest for your souls. See, the the grace shapes and empowers the rhythms, but the rhythms actually just point us right back to the grace. They just point us right back to the one who gives the grace. So because this same Jesus has secured all things that pertain to life and godliness, all of the promises, the precious and great promises of God, because he has cleansed you from your former sins and made you partakers of his divine nature, let us make every effort to walk in his ways because you have been shown unfathomable grace. Devote your life to growing in the rhythms of that grace. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. We praise you, Father, for making your divine truth real to us in Jesus Christ. We praise you that you have given us not only this incredible grace by which we are saved, but in that grace, you've given us a path. You've given us a road You've given us routines and rhythms that we get to make part of our lives that ensure for us that we will not waste our lives, that ensure for us that we will not become ineffective and unfruitful, and ensure for us that you will richly provide us an entrance into Jesus' kingdom. All of that is grace. And I pray this morning as we now prepare to come to your table that we would see again the grace you have shown us, that we would be, by the power of your Holy Spirit in this moment, stirred up, not by novelty, but by way of reminder. And we remember at this table that you offered up your body, that you shed your blood for the life and salvation of the world. That you shed your blood, that you gave your body for the forgiveness of our sins and for our reconciliation with with our Father in heaven. Stir us up by way of reminder. Renew our joy in you. Renew our passion to walk in your way. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, 
visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.